when we think about applying artificial intelligence and data science to different areas in business, we often think about domains that offer a wide swath of quantitative measures, quantitative metrics that we can feed a machine, uh, whether this be marketing or finance or some other application where there's a grand data stream, that tends to be where we initially think about the applications of machine learning. HR normally doesn't fit the bill. Uh, how we hired someone, how we felt about someone when we hired them, uh, how well they perform on a job, unless we're talking about a sales position or um, some other task that's quantitatively measurable in a very overt way, it's often difficult to discern performance and team dynamics and to be able to put that into a system and actually make sense of it. But big companies like Google are certainly applying machine learning to their HR choices. And in the future, uh, our guest on the Tech Emergence podcast this week believes that more companies will do the same. Ben Weber is the CEO and founder of Humanize, which is a company that applies machine learning to HR decision making, helping people get better people and better performance uh, by measuring and tangibly improving their performance with the help of machine learning in the domain of HR. So certainly a novel topic, one that we probably won't be covering every month, but I think is fun to sort of delve into. Without further ado, we'll learn a little bit more about the applications of machine learning and hiring decisions with Ben Weber. All right, Ben, so the, the first question I wanted to go into here, um, knowing a little bit from having spoken with you before around what kind of applications your you and your company are working on in, in the HR field, five or 10 years ago, where was AI when it comes to human resources, when it comes to HR? Well, 10 years ago, AI was virtually non-existent, but potentially the only place that you would see any sort of AI or machine learning used uh, would have been around uh, trying to forecast the number of employees that a company would need to hire. Huh. Um, and this is something that, again, companies wouldn't do very often. Maybe you do that once yearly. Um, typically, at that point, they were hiring consultants to come in and, and make those predictions. This wasn't something they did in-house. Uh, about five years ago, that started to change a little bit, where in particular, basically at that point, had one company, uh, Google, uh, start what they call their uh, people analytics team. And that team started to try to apply the same sorts of AI and uh, analytics techniques that obviously Google uses uh, with its users, uh, all of us, uh, with their people. And at that point, they were focused uh, very, very specifically on hiring and trying to hire better people. The idea was, could they actually find patterns in the resumes that people submit in the schools that people come from, in the other companies people come from, to try to figure out um, how to more quickly uh, screen all the candidates that get coming in, um, and then at the same time, obviously improve um, retention at the company in particular um, over the long term. Got it. So, so really, five years ago, Google was sort of the, as far as you know, anywhere, as far as we know, it sounds like, um, was was sort of pushing the envelope then in what, what they called people analytics. It sounds like even maybe in other large companies, I mean, I, Lord knows what, what the IBMs of the world or any of these other folks are doing. It sounds like Google was kind of the vanguard in that respect. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things to understand about HR is even today, if we counted the number of companies that are using AI uh, with regards to people in general and not just within HR, um, we're only talking about 
50 to 100 companies today. Yeah. And this has been growing, you know, very rapidly over the last, honestly, even just year. But Google, again, about five years ago, was really the only game in town. And comparing what they were doing then to what we're starting to be able to do today, I mean, obviously, not to say that just hiring better people isn't, isn't valuable. It certainly is. But, I mean, we've seen even their team grow from, what was it, you know, in 2010, I think maybe seven, eight people to, you know, close, now closer to 100. Um, certainly, they've started to look well beyond just these very simple questions and starting to get it to the things that actually generate much more value uh, for the business as a whole. Huh. And so, so they've obviously been investing heavily in this and it sounds as though um, maybe they're uh, kind of the, the leader with respect to the actual AI applications. So it sounds like the, the last decade or so is relatively sparse and maybe only the last five years, starting with the big spark of Google, have a handful of large companies begun to take AI predictive analytics seriously when it comes to HR matters. That's exactly right. One of the issues was just that data was very hard to come by until yeah. relatively recently, right? I mean, we, the HR didn't have the benefit. I mean, certainly they had data in their HR systems. It's not to say there wasn't uh, the ability to do it. It's just that not just with the kind of data that we have today or the ability to, for example, process resumes, like that's a difficult. But on top of that, the type of people who were working in HR were much more, I mean, even today, are much more administrative and we're thinking around, well, how do we choose the right uh, benefits plan? And what is the average compensation of somebody in this role? Yeah. Very um, more basic stuff, which is still necessary and, and hugely important, but they weren't, uh, they didn't have the, the people to start to develop you know, new algorithms and techniques, you know, using AI and, and things from other disciplines yeah. as well uh, to really make that next leap. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because I think even just by associations, you know, when you think HR department, you know, I, I hate to say it, but you kind of know what the person sitting behind the desk looks like, you know, <laughs> like, and, and that's, that's terrible. And I don't mean to say like someone's listening in and they're, they work in HR and they, you know, think I'm a bad person now, probably. Um, it's not what I mean. It's just, I think the traditional assumptions are that HR folks are of a certain breed. They're maybe not of a tremendously technical bent. Um, and, and that maybe we don't often see that as the, the forerunner of where the most cutting edge technology gets applied in a given company. Maybe we would see that as a role that in so many respects, I think someone off the street would assume is quite similar to how it was maybe, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, so, so it's not, it hasn't been where people, you know, traditionally apply these, these, um, approaches of artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive analytics, but, but now you had mentioned that data is sort of becoming available. Now, I think one of the difficulties off the top of my head, Ben, is if we look at finance, um, you know, candlestick charts, P and L's, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is all, you know, as quantifiable as quantifiable gets. I mean, it's numbers. It's numbers in real time. It's numbers streaming. Um, it's 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 uh, it seems as though pounding all of that through an algorithm is is the, the the data. It doesn't seem like it's a tremendously creative process to come up with the data. But for for someone's job performance, for someone's 
um, you know, attitude at work and their efficiency given other people doing a similar job, especially complicated jobs. We're not talking about, you know, um, making, uh, you know, like, like welding the same pipe 500 times a day. We're talking about, you know, developing new digital products, you know, with Ruby on Rails or whatever the case may be. What has been the data that is now accessible that at one point, at what point wasn't? You've hit the nail on the head that there are so many jobs, uh, especially today, where that are so complex and depend so much not just on what you do, but on what uh, your coworkers do, that I can ask company, what's the performance of Anne? And they can't give me an answer. They can say, oh, well, Anne's pretty good. What does that mean? Is that- no, no, exactly. Like that's, exactly. that's the measurement, isn't it? Isn't it sort of pretty good? Isn't that as good as it gets? For most companies, it probably is. Well, exactly. Unfortunately, for a large number of fields, that's still the case. I mean, yeah. of course, if you're a salesperson, I have hard, I have sales numbers. Oh, yeah. I mean, thank goodness. Yeah. I mean, those, those yeah. guys have the heater on them, but yeah. That's right. But so there, there are a limited number of jobs um, that still are, uh, again, more complicated where I do have some hard metrics. And for every job, I mean, there are things, for example, what's uh, what's the turnover rate uh, within your team, for example, or your division? Yeah. Um, yep. That's metric um, that's quite hard and has very direct implications for company success. At the same time, again, to your point, really quantifying some of these more, uh, say, soft metrics of how effective or creative people are has traditionally been very difficult. One of the things that's changed uh, over the last five years is really this ability to look at the digital traces of behavioral data that we leave when we're at work. Emails, IMs, phone calls, those tell us who's communicating with who, when they communicate, how often. You can start to look at a network across the company. But not just digital data. I can look at ID badge data, cell phones, data about the physical world, where people spend time, who talks to who, how people move around. Uh, Now, of course, there's privacy concerns with this, which we can talk about. But what that enables you to do is start to look at what are the behaviors of the teams that are most successful? Um, and I can, and for teams or divisions, I can define that with hard metrics. I can say the teams that achieve their development milestones the most quickly. What do they do? What do they do differently than everybody else? Um, I've got some divisions that are doing great that are supposed to be doing similar things to other divisions. But how are they behaviorally different? And because now I can start to measure that very, very quickly at very high levels of granularity, the same tools that we've applied, uh, you know, for now decades and things like marketing, all of a sudden we can start to apply that uh, to ourselves and in our own work. Huh. So, okay. So I'm going to get a little handful of these because I, I think this is very interesting because to me, Ben, this is, is a, it's quite a creative endeavor. I, I almost think that it's not to say, you know, I often say in, in work, so in entrepreneurship, it's, it's, it's maybe 10 or 20 times easier to just put your head down and do something than it is to discern a system by which you could manage other people doing that thing. Um, a system that's legitimate and succinct and ties to something meaningful and would ensure excellence and all that. It's so much harder than doing the work. It sounds like here, you know, in, in finance or in other domains where it really is just plain, flat, hard, clear numbers to the face about money and opt-in rates or whatever the case may be. Um, there's maybe less of that getting your hands dirty, 
creative process of which of these correlates do we need to tie together to turn into something that could be meaningful. It sounds like that is really the art here. Well, I think we benefit when it comes to people within companies from the decades of research there's been in social science that, and in your capturing it perfectly, really gets at some of the much messier, uh, more creative yeah. aspects of trying to understand people's behavior. And I do think the analogy, you know, again, this if you look at this continuum of how clean the data is that we work with, you have on one end finance where I'm working with you know, pure stock numbers and I can do things with that. And I know that if I get a price that says 100, it means it's 100. Whereas then I could go to something like marketing, which is actually farther along that continuum. It is, yeah. Um, where you know, sure, I have things like click-throughs and everything like that, but that doesn't tell me well, how exactly should I design this ad. Yeah. And if I have an ad on TV, what's the best way to do it? And not to say you, of course, you use data to help you pick from different options, maybe to help you think about certain things, but but there's definitely creativity there. Yep. I'd say the people side of business is even farther along. It is. Where, again, we have guideposts from um, lots of research that was, again, previously done with surveys much longer term, uh, more laborious work. But, you know, then the, the options that are open to us are, are quite wide. And, and so one of the things that companies uh, still struggle with today is, you know, we have teams that, again, are used to conflict resolution and picking, uh, again, benefits. And we've got to move that team to something where I've got to be really deep into volumes of data that frankly even marketing can't touch uh, or Wall Street can't touch and they have to be uh, sort of adept enough at understanding um, the state of the art and things like organizational behavior uh, which you know, unless you've got a PhD you're gonna have trouble in yeah so so a lot of this you know comes down to the fact that the technology in this space is still developing and making that learning curve uh, really compressing that so that it uh, becomes easier uh, for people without this kind of experience to use this technology. Um, at the same time, it's something where the value is that much higher because it's difficult. Because yeah, this, isn't, yeah. it, this isn't something where uh, if I start doing this today and invest and build up a team of 100 people like Google, this isn't something that uh, my competitor um, can replicate just do tomorrow. Yeah, it's yeah. going to take them years. Yep, and, yep. and so I think that's um, why actually this field – is very interesting, especially today, because there's so much ability uh, to shape that and to gain real advantage um, over other companies. Got it. And I want I'm going to talk about those business benefits and sort of the 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 the, uh, the most tangible sort of ROI for companies. I have some in mind, but you would know better than I for obvious reasons. Before I do, just to illuminate sort of the process of where we're pulling data from now today, I really found what you said uh, quite interesting about. Emails, who's talking to who, phone, who's talking to who, instant messaging, who's talking to who, um, you know, uh, check-ins with their badges, you know, what meeting rooms, when are they going to lunch, are they going to lunch with other people, whatever the case may be. Um, what are the other data points that now in your modern, you know, digital slash Internet of Things business, we can pull in that, that sort of add to this, um, uh, this menage of, of, of very data that we can then glean sort of valuable insights from. What are the other points that a, a business today can pull from for, for tangible HR data? 
one of the things that's, again, based off my research at MIT is really starting to get into, again, Internet of Things, wearables type data. Hmm. If you think about it, in enterprise, people have actually been using wearables for a while. Bluetooth headsets, which are microphones. Yeah. Um, and, of course, also Bluetooth, so it's a proximity sensor. Uh, we have company ID badges, which have RFID today, which, again, tells you location. But, again, when I was at MIT and with some of the co-founders of my company, we started to add additional sensors to those ID badges. Microphones, accelerometers, Bluetooth, infrared, which enable you to figure out, again, how people talk to each other at a millisecond level, tone of voice, volume, what percent of the time do I talk, how much do I interrupt you. I can look at things wow. like, of course, Fitbit-level data, um, who talks to who. So really, again, the network within a company face-to-face, -face, not just digitally with email data, for example, uh, where where people spend time. And, and I'll emphasize this is not just something that you know we did at MIT and we're the only ones doing uh, you know, in, in our company today, but smart badges in particular are starting to proliferate quite quickly. Uh, you have Motorola Solutions, Hitachi, Panasonic uh, that are making the next generation of ID badges that have all these sensors in them. Huh. That enables you to do, again, things that you just you couldn't even think about before. You know, I couldn't even ask, what percent of the time should I talk to a customer in a store if I'm a retailer? I, I couldn't ask, how much does my sales team talk to my engineering team? Yeah. Now, these are critical, critical questions for running a business. But again, the only way you get at it before is using surveys or hiring consultants. And those things are very, very slow, very expensive, and, and still subjective. Um, so really, you couldn't apply AI and other techniques to that kind of data. Um, and now, all of a sudden, you, you really can, um, even with companies that don't have a million people, you can start to do it. With companies where you only have you know, dozens of people, you can do it in a single division. Um, and that starts to get uh, very, very interesting. Fascinating. Yeah, it's smart badges. So I've, I actually haven't heard the term. I mean, I, I haven't been all that hip to the HR, AI domain, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Again, like you had mentioned, there's there's the privacy concerns, I suppose, as well. But at, at the same time, I mean, you can just see the tangible benefits. I mean, you know, if, if you could tie, uh, you know, when, when people's blood pressure goes up with, you know, certain positive or negative performance traits and figure out what's happening on Thursdays, it's getting everybody so stressed, you know, um, just, just very, very interesting and creative ways you could tie that all together. And I'll, I'll have to Google smart badges as that's the first time I've heard that. And now I, I know, um, in your clearly with human eyes and, and the work that you folks are doing now, your, your gig is, is really, uh, providing these services to companies. Um, I'm curious as to, you know, when it comes to, you know, there's a lot of solutions out there, a lot of ways of looking at data and probably many ways of creating dashboards that maybe don't involve creating machine learning or, or, um, predictive analytics or artificial intelligence. It would just be sort of, let's track it. Let's look at it. Let's make assumptions. You could probably glean some information from that alone. When it comes to why, uh, folks would actually use AI in their, um, in, in the corporate setting for HR. What are the tangible ROIs of like, man, we need to know these things. And this is why, you know, this solution would really sink in. You, you already have to do this with your work in the company. I'm curious, you know, what's the, what's the can't live without that companies, um, are, are sort of dying to get their hand on that's, that's getting them itching to really apply artificial intelligence here. No question there is value in first just understanding what is the state of the world. Without 
you know, any analytics on top of that, just is this happening or is this not happening? Yep. Because just some companies are so woefully underinformed about <laughs> the thing they have the most control over, right? They're, they're, they're people. Yeah. Um, at, at the same time, because it's so important and because this is something where, again, if you run HR or even you're the CEO of a company, you don't really have experience with, with dealing with this kind of data that actually makes uh, predictive analytics, you know, AI machine learning that much more valuable because you need to be able to point people in a direction, you know, not just say, okay, well, here's what's going on. And, and that is valuable, but you need to be able to say, here's where you actually need to move because these are metrics and these are things where sure we can understand intuitively if I'm trying to you know, sell people products in a retail store, it matters how much I talk to a customer. It matters. Yeah. But I actually don't know. So should I have people talk more? Should I have them talk less? Well, I need to then pull in sales data, KPIs. I need to start to understand that. Um, but of course, these things also change over time. I might sell a new product or sell different kinds of products and different kinds of products may have different things. And you start to get into such specificity that, you know, unless you start out with a gigantic team that's prepared to do lots of manual labor, uh, <laughs> you are not going to get to an accurate answer. And, and so certainly doing things that are still relatively straightforward, um, you know, from the analytics perspective are, uh, are, are probably for right now, at least the most useful. Um, as we get companies more and more sophisticated around this, you can start to see them offsource more and more of some of these very rapid decisions and, and A-B tests that they're starting to run internally, um, really to platforms and technologies um, that can react far faster uh, than humans can. Yeah, yeah, and, and obviously that's what you folks are working on building. In terms of use cases, um, you know, you had brought up a good one, which maybe is representative and maybe there's one or two other ones that we can sort of close this, close things out with in the interview to sort of flesh out the, the, the tangible applications. One of them is, Hey, you know, I've got a retail store, I've got sales folks and service folks who go around and they speak with people about, you know, which, uh, which two by fours to buy or lawnmowers or whatever the case may be. Um, so, so we have, uh, we have that information as sort of part of the shtick, uh, potentially here. Um, what are other common ones? You know, when, when companies, is it most of the time like the, the dire need, the stuff where folks are like, Ben, we need a phone call. You know, like you, you've, you've had companies that come in kind of hot to trot for this kind of thing. Is it, is it really a lot of the time the sexiest, most sizzling stuff that's really building up the desire? Is it more sales oriented almost across the board? Is it more team efficiency oriented? Is it a bit of a spread? I'm, I'm interested in what the pie chart looks like of kind of the most burning desires that you folks um, are, are, are having to appeal to most to really get companies excited and on board? It's somewhat a, a spread, but I would say that by far the, the biggest topic is that companies are making decisions about their people, whether it's you know building a new company campus for billions of dollars, whether it's reorganizing the company, which costs you know an ungodly amount of money in the yeah. time whether it's rolling out new training practices. They're doing these things constantly. And in, you know, especially Fortune 100 companies, that's something where you make that decision, you have to stick with it and run with it for years. And the way it typically works today is some executive reads an article in Harvard Business Review about what a cool company does, what Google does. And they say, oh, well, Google's cool. We should do the same thing as them. Yeah, and, yeah. And that's basically how these decisions are made. 
Very funny. But ha- Very funny. But, wow. but what happens is that people in these companies come to us and they say, well, we realize we're making these decisions. And now all of a sudden, the CEO is asking me to justify why we're spending $3 billion on this thing. Is this actually going to improve performance? Is it actually going to improve collaboration? We can tell stories around it. And I can say this training is much better. This office is much better for collaboration. But one, I can't measure it. And two, I can't. I, I really need to understand how we should change what we're doing based on what's actually happening yeah. in the company. Yeah, yeah. Is, and, an open, is an open floor plan going to be more productive, for example, sure. right? Like you don't know. Sure. You don't know. And, and, and the point is that is, first of all, not just understanding the state of today, but being able to get predictions and try to play forward. Well, what if we did this? What are the different things that we could do? And then, again, using the, you know, the analytics and the data to help make those decisions and, of course, to test them out. Um, that's, you know, really across, you know, specific, uh, you know, whether it's with salespeople, with programmers or, you know, or executives. Those are really, that, that's really the starting point. Um, and then certainly you start to get into, uh, you know, while you, you're, you have people using this technology all the time, you can start to help these people answer very specific questions, either about their careers and you know, how do you get promoted? How do you move to another division uh, to questions for the specific team or, or, or division? Uh, you know, how can we, uh, you know, reduce errors? How can we, uh, how can we sell more? Um, these are the sorts of things that because you have more and more data, all of a sudden, now you're not just, uh, now it's not just HR or corporate real estate or IT using this technology. Now frontline people are starting to use these predictions about how they should uh, do their job, how they should actually work and interact with their coworkers um, to really improve what they do. Yeah. And so it sounds as though, and maybe we can close on this note, it feels like uh, intuitively based on what you're saying, the, the value proposition here is similar to what I've heard other folks who are uh, maybe folks that don't even have full platforms like yourself, but who are essentially consulting in, in the higher level realms of machine learning and, and artificial intelligence, of whom we've, we've spoken to many, where a, a common thread, and I, I, I heard this said, and I don't know if this is said frequently, and it's, it's something that, you know, it's a common phrase, or if it's just how this individual worded it, um, was empirically backed decision support. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I think that um, really, especially if you talk about HR or corporate real estate, IT, really supporting functions of companies, they are at this point today where they really need to justify their existence. Because, again, if, if I'm in corporate real estate, so I'm, I'm responsible for building offices, for renting space, uh, I get paid more if I cut our budget for space. Well, at the end of that, if you just take it to its logical conclusion, that means everyone should work from home and I should have no offices and then I'm out of a job. Yeah. If that's my only goal. Yep. If instead I can say I improve performance, well, that's that's much more valuable. Yep, yep, yep. Similar and, things with yeah. HR and IT. And so if you can – for these people to be able to justify – their existence to be able to show that they are improving performance in the company. This is something where they they don't have that capacity themselves. But if you can provide that decision support, both in terms of what are the actual options, and then when you show this to you know when you show their decision to the CEO, um, they can say 
here's actually what the data says. And, and now let's talk about that. Let's talk about what the models say, and, and we can have a discussion around that. But at least we know it's on the table. Um, Whereas today, we have absolutely no idea. So breaking from anecdote and using real data and being able to use that to flesh out future scenarios around performance of HR. In other words, the real validation ROI from the HR function. Exactly. Got it. All right. Tried to summarize that one for for the folks at home, but I I think that that that, that hit it pretty well. Ben, I sincerely appreciate you uh, sharing your insights here. Hopefully this was a Uh, a pretty unique window into a world where AI is being applied that we certainly haven't ever covered in the podcast. I had a lot of fun with it. I appreciate you sharing your insights here with us at Tech Emergence. Thanks for having me. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.